Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. It is good to be back, and this morning we turn to the next section of Romans. And it is just two verses. It's Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. And this is God's word, and it is eternally true. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here now, Father, be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text begins, and I titled the sermon, I always title a sermon with a phrase from the actual text of Scripture. I did, started doing that when I was uh, just ordained, and I did it because I thought, Titling the sermon by something in the text would help me to remember at least that phrase of the text. So it was my way of enforced scripture memorization. (laughs) And our text uh, this morning begins with the title, But Thanks Be to God. Now, you you notice how often I'll stop with the very beginning of a text and I'll say, "Now, now what's going on here? Well, this is typical of how we just pass over words and phrases. You know, you don't stomp and think about a phrase, but thanks be to God. You know, because you just say, well, of course, thanks be to God. Any idiot knows that. And so you don't catch the significance of it. Well, what he's saying is what comes before, what comes after, the thanks are given to God. Well, of course, so who else would you thank? Well, if you look at what follows, you're going to see that you don't normally give thanks to God for it. As a matter of fact, normally you don't even recognize it. So let's look at what he's thankful to God for. But thanks be to God. So it's not anything they've done, nothing he's done. God's the one that's done it. Thanks be to God for this. That, this is what we're to thank God for, that though you were slaves of sin. Now, you notice that he leaves you there. Though you were slaves of sin, he's reminding you of the pit that you've been dug from, right? You were a slave of sin. Do you remember? You were a slave of sin. You remember that, right? Though you were a slave of sin. We haven't gotten to the thanks yet, have we? (laughs) Though you were a slave of sin, you became obedient. Thanks be to God. Though you were a slave of sin, we were slaves of sin, you became obedient. Now listen, let's all admit something. Let's all admit that's, that, that, that is absolutely not what any church in America thinks today. No church in America today is thanking God that they became obedient. I mean, come on, be honest. What we're thankful for is grace. God's grace, your grace, my grace, his grace, our grace. But nobody is thanking God that we have become obedient. Come on, be honest, admit this. Now let me ask you a question. If we're not thankful that we have become obedient, is that because we have not become obedient? And the answer I can say as a shepherd of this flock, one of many, That's not true. You have become obedient. You. I see it. 
And so why aren't anybody, why don't we thank God that we've become obedient? And the reason is that we have relegated obedience to such a low position in the values that we hold that it just doesn't occur to us to thank God for obedience. You know, we all feel slightly guilty that we're not more obedient, and sometimes some particularly horrible failing causes us to be so appalled that we go to the elders or pastors or the older women of the church, yeah, i got to become more obedient here in this thing. It's just like driving me crazy, right? But we don't live a life of gratitude for our obedience. And it's not simply because we're not obedient. I'm telling you that this is a congregation of people who are obedient. Okay? And I know you. I know your sins. I know your failures. And I love you. And you are all growing in obedience. Now, there are some of you here that are (laughs) a little hard-headed. And there are actually some fools here who will not grow in obedience. All right. But no, as a congregation, you do grow in obedience. Now, let's keep going because there's something else going on here. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin... You became obedient. And then it says something else. From the heart. In other words, this obedience is not man-pleasing. It's not moralism. It's not living under the law, you know, the stones under my thumb. It's not superficial. It's from the heart. You became obedient from the heart. So what did, become, what did I become obedient to? Now, you remember how I said earlier that no church thanks God that they become obedient. And listen, even if there are one or two outliers who actually do thank God that they become obedient, none of them say that they're thankful to God that they become obedient from the heart to what? To what? That form of teaching. What you became obedient to from your heart was a form of teaching. And listen, there's nobody that's become thankful that they become obedient to a form of teaching. If there are people who do place a value on doctrine, because that's another way of of translating this, you can refer to it as as a form of teaching, a pattern of doctrine, It's propositional. It's words and truths, all right? If there are churches that are thankful that they have become obedient to, from their heart, to sound doctrine, to truth, none of them would phrase it, I've become obedient to the truth. I mean, the whole point of having propositional truth that you put your confidence in is it nullifies the importance of obedience. If I just have the right doctrine, it doesn't matter what I do because I've got the right doctrine. I think the right way. We had a man in this church. I've told you about this before. And he loved this church when he came in. And I mean, he he was just bang up. And then one day he came to me and he said, Tim, He said, we have a prayer of confession in this church. And we shouldn't be confessing our sins. We're forgiven in Jesus. And of course, you know, you know what you would say to a guy like that. So, dude, are you really asking me this question? You really think it's against scripture for us to ask God to forgive us? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, seriously? Do you think you don't sin? Well, no, but if we ask God to forgive us, it shows we don't believe the truth, the truth of grace. We're seated in the heavenlies. Well, of course, that's true. Grace is true. Grace is wonderful. 
It's also true that we are seated in the heavenlies, but it's also true that we be anchored in the earthlies. (laughs) That man left the church, took his family, and you know what he did? He didn't go to any other church. But rather, he began to have this false shepherd who moved to this community uh, meet with him with his family in the living room. And the name of the ministry of that false shepherd was Grace something or other. I can't remember what it was called. Grace always, grace only. I don't know what it was. And I got thinking about it. I think I spent 10 years thinking about that. And I thought, you know, this is fascinating. He's against us praying prayers of confession because he thinks it's works righteousness and it's a failure to believe. It's a failure to to grab the grace of God as we ought, right? You all with me? And I thought, isn't that fascinating? And so what they've done is they've reduced all the tonal complexion, you know, of, of the gospel to one note, which is grace. Everything else is gone. It's obliterated because of how wonderful grace is, right? But the fascinating thing is that if he ever momentarily forgets about grace, he's not saved. You follow? In other words, grace is reduced to a a sort of uh, Buddhist kind of and your eternal security depends upon you being very about grace. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you're threatening my salvation by talking about sin because I have to maintain the monotone. And it's the purpose of the church to train me in the monotone so I never let of the monotone, because the minute I let go of the monotone, uh-oh. Do you, do you see this? In other words, grace has become a work. <laughs> it's like, and I remember realizing that and just thinking, isn't that just like the devil? The devil claims to give us something, and immediately he robs us of the very thing he he claims he will give us. This man is absolutely certain that he's been given grace, and he has no grace whatsoever. Do you understand this? Now, this is doctrine. It requires you to think about the meaning of grace, the meaning of justice, the meaning of holiness, the meaning of all the inner workingness of these things, how the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and then it has a little word. What's the word? For, because it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation with fear, and for it is God. And you can see this man would go through the Bible and he'd hack off every one of those halves. Because it's not logical. Do you see this? Now, stop a second and think. Here's this man. He leaves this church because we have a prayer of confession. All right? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. That's not the way we think. We don't give thanks to God that we become obedient from the heart. And if we do, we don't be... It's not the form of teaching. We don't have in the church today obedience and doctrine. Do you understand? These two things we see is in opposition to each other. They're in perpetual conflict. Just believe. Just have faith. Forget all the doctrine. That's for pastors. They like to read books. But I'm into relationships. I think what's important is that we love people. Right? Isn't that what we all think? But let me ask you a question. What is love? What is love of God? You say, well, 
We all know what love of God is. No, 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 no. I actually asked you, what is love of God? Why? Okay, okay, okay. What is love of man? Well, we all know what it is to love man. Uh, Come on, tell me. John, the apostle of love, says to love God is to obey his commands. Propositional statement, right? Doctrine, right? But it doesn't sound comfy. It's not a comfy chair. What about love of man? Well, love of man is obeying the second table of the law. You start with not committing adultery. You start with not killing, not murdering. You don't envy, right? Honor your father and mother. In other words, propositional statements about what it means to love your neighbor. Start with not looking at his wife's body. Right? Does everybody understand? That's what the seventh commandment says. Don't look at her. Right? Right? Men, are are you with me? (laughs) You know, it's very helpful not to look at her. And all of a sudden, you want to think that I'm now in the area of the ethical, you know, you want to think that I've moved over into moralism and, and what's right and what's wrong, but no, I'm still at the point of doctrine. The Ten Commandments are a doctrinal statement and they impose on us a form of doctrine that we are to be stamped with in such a way that we show the pattern that we were stamped with. Do you understand this? The Bible is a system of truth that imprints its image on us. That's the meaning of this text. Do you see what it says? It says we become obedient to that form, that image, that that mold of doctrine, of teaching. Do you understand this? And then it adds this statement, to which you were committed. Now, that's weird. This whole section, you have to admit it's weird. Who would ever write this in the church in America today? You know, I'm so thankful. Thanks be to God that I have a congregation that, you know, it's just so beautiful that they were slaves of sin. Nobody would ever talk that way. You know, why rub their noses in it? People know they're sinners. (laughs) You know? Who would ever talk about you being a slave of sin? You know? Doesn't sound very affirming. You know? And isn't the pastor's job to affirm you, you know? Okay, you were a slave of sin, <laughs> you know? Are you feeling affirmed? Okay? You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. That, that, that is being born again. Do you hear me? That is being born again. And I'm not making it up. It is necessary for you to see that in the text. That is being born again. The way the Apostle Paul, and he's no stupid man, and he isn't lacking the authority of God. The way the Apostle Paul describes the process of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is being transferred from a slave to sin, becoming obedient from the heart to a form of teaching to which you, what's the verb? were committed, past tense. It's talking about new life in Christ. This is a description of becoming a Christian. Oh, my. And you are what? In this process, you are what? You are, do you remember the first phrase, but thanks be to God, you were passive. <laughs> you became. You know, my wife once had an accident in our big, big van. <laughs> and it was, 
you know, it was snowing and there was a negative camber to the road that pushed you to the outside instead of the inside. Why they make roads like that, I don't know. But she took the, she took the curve too fast and this humongous van plowed into a tree right in the center of the, the van. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but I will tell you this. The tree was active and the van was passive. <laughs> you know, it's like a tree came out and got her, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. You were slaves of sin. Now let me ask you this. This is describing prior to conversion. So back then, you were what? Tell me. Now, let me ask you this. How much agency, how much moral agency, and, and how much independence does a slave have? Huh? You know, the word there is doula. Slave. Okay? You were a slave of sin. How much independence, how much freedom do you have when you're a slave? Come on. So you were a slave to sin, okay? And then it says this. It says, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So what what happens is you go from no freedom because you're a slave to sin to you were committed. God grabs you and God moves you to being committed to a pattern of teaching. And he gives you heart obedience. Do you see this? Okay. Don't be embarrassed. Don't think I'm sinning. It's propositional. It is truth. It's not a value. It's truth. And you bet your life on it. You want God to transfer you from slavery to sin to slavery to obedience. And you want him to do it by imprinting his doctrine on you. And you want to learn to obey from your heart. And there are only two categories of people. Are you all with me? Watch the end. Watch the end. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So really, your manumission... Your emancipation was from slavery to slavery. Okay? And truth and doctrine matter. Do you remember what Jesus said about this? Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says this, Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my if you continue in my what? If you continue in my word, word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And of course, I love Thomas. And here, I love them because they say exactly what I would have said I would have said my grandfather lost, or my great-great-grandfather lost his arm in Gettysburg. Don't talk to me about being a slave. They answered, we are Abraham's descendants, have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I mean, come on, people laugh. That's funny. You know, they say, dude, you don't need to free us. We don't need your help, thank you. We're children of Abraham. You know, we're northerners. We're white. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Every time he says that, truly, truly, that means, listen up, people, listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. No, no, he's going to be kicked out. The son does remain forever. And so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You know, uh, the world always gives itself to counterfeits. And there's, there's almost no counterfeit that's more popular today than freedom. The world never, ever stops talking about freedom. Everything it does claims to love freedom. Much of the social justice uh, uh, gobbledygook that's the way everybody shows themselves to be parts of groups on social media. It's all about freedom. Even uh, I, I have this habit of, of, of saying yes to everybody. I, I've started trying to discipline myself to saying no to some people, but it's just too complicated to make judgments. And I have to make judgments all my time in my life. So with Facebook, I just try not to have to make judgments. And so lately, I've been getting these repeated things from this Christian woman. And all of them are trying to get me to give money to a military dog that has a tumor that she's adopted. And I mean, we're talking serious money. Uh, Praise God, another $20. And this is what the church is today. And it's all in the name of freedom. And we don't even have the ability of discerning and discriminating between the difference of the freedom of an unborn child not to be killed and the freedom of a dog to have a tumor taken off of it. Everybody is absolutely certain that they have participated in, in, in justice and righteousness and truth by giving $20 to have the tumor taken off of this rescue dog. Think about that. It's all moral. It's all ethical. It's all freedom. Do you understand this? This is not just something like a lollipop and eating it. This is a claim of virtue that you have the privilege of participating in. And now, you don't want to think about rescue dogs, right? Because, I mean, you know, their eyes are so pathetic. Have you noticed how everybody tells you, it's just so disgusting. Don't you ever say this to me. Because right now I love you. But if you ever say this to me, I might stop, okay? No, not, not seriously. I'll, I'll, I'll still love you. But if you notice how everybody is immediately telling you that their pet is a rescue pet. Now, this is a claim of moral virtue. They are taking somebody in bondage, but it's not a buddy, it's not a sum, it's actually an animal, and they're taking this child, this, not child, but they're, and, and they're transferring it from death to life. They're transferring it from bondage to freedom, from slavery. They have manumitted, they have emancipated this dog into being loved. Do you understand this? That's what's going on here. This dog had no freedom, no opportunities, and they have done affirmative action for this dog. Come on, people, watch what's going on. Now, do I not care about animals? No, I love animals. If I were going to get another dog, would I get a rescue dog? Yes, if I could take that rescue dog from its present owner, I would be happy to do that. And I would never refer to it as a rescue dog again. And that would be my rescuing of that dog. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Think of the indignity. Oh, you know, bark, 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 bark. You know, we have a rescue dog. Bark, 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 bark. So embarrassing. <laughs> poor, pathetic thing. How would you like to be referred to as a rescued child? (laughs) Yes, I have a rescue husband. 
<laughs> I better stop. Okay. This is not in the manuscript. Okay. <laughs> but listen, move on to the issue of race. And there it gets really serious. Some people claim that they are liberating African Americans in our country today. Do you understand this? Do you realize that presidents of the United States are being judged by our self-righteous idiots in America today? I wouldn't be surprised if they end up shutting down Jefferson's home. Monticello. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't. You know, because it's, it seems pretty clear that he not only had slaves, but capital H had slaves, okay? But let me ask you this question. Since freedom, the freedom of African Americans, the freedom of the poor, the freedom of the disabled, the freedom of the elderly to not pay for their pharmacies, the freedom of dogs to be rescued, the freedom of dolphins to not be eaten, the freedom if, you know, the freedom of the earth to be left untrammeled from Canada to the Gulf of Mexico. If we're in such an orgy of freedom, do you think there is actually lots of freedom in the United States today? Come on. The freedom of 1.2 million unborn children to be slaughtered every year because we have to have free sex? Let's start with that bloodlust. And then you look at the unbelievable opioid epidemic that's been decimating the poor white trash of this country for decades now. Do they seem free to you? You ever known somebody on disability? You, never, you ever known a man of work, of, of his working years who's on disability? Have you ever known that? How much freedom does that man have? Does that man have self-esteem? Does he feel good about himself? Let me ask you this. Does his wife feel good about him? Are his children proud of him? Does that man have freedom because he gets a check from the government? He doesn't have to work because he's got a bad back? I'm not denying the pain. Listen, we are in a time when everybody says that there has never been as much freedom as we have today. And all it is, is it's a shell game. Satan has told us if we rebel against God, if we rebel against his word, if we throw out the Ten Commandments and accept his infinitude of commandments that are small and wise, that we will have freedom. And we don't have it. We even are proud that we've given African Americans former slaves and their, their relatives. We're proud that we've given them freedom. We haven't given them freedom. You think African Americans in this country today are free? If that's freedom, how many of us want? You want to be born on the south side of Chicago? Huh? Come on, people. Be honest. There are only two categories of people. There are those who are slaves of sin, and there are those who are what? Slaves of righteousness. That's it. That's it. And yet many of you spend your weeks trying to posture yourself as believing in this, this, this fake freedom that all the social justice warriors are trying to tell you have. They have convinced women that if they don't get married, postpone marriage until the year 39, one day before 40... Because they all do get married before they're 40. You know this. Statistics show us that the same percentage of women are married by the time they, they turn 40 as were married 30 years ago when they turned 40. And if you're a woman, you know what this is about, right? <laughs> it's like, it's hilarious. But boy, are they putting it off. Now, why are women putting off getting married and having children? Well, because they want what? Huh? Freedom. 
Freedom to what? Freedom to not have to, to you know what? To have to be yoked to an idiot. Or a man, depending on how you're feeling at any moment, you'll say man or idiot. <laughs> you know? In church you say man, at home you say idiot. Freedom to not have his child. Freedom to not be dependent on him to have to be a faithful husband. Freedom to not have to nurse. Freedom to not have to care for the children. Freedom to not have to suffer through high school years, eh, Amanda? Come on, admit it. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to have teenage daughters. Just let me tell you this. You don't want to have teen... Freedom to not have to have teenage daughters, right? And then freedom to not have to have them leave your home, which is a special pain in itself. And so what we have is we have a nation of women who are pursuing excellence. And how are they doing this? Well, since they, don't want to, since they want to be free, right? They want to be free, so what do they do? Well, <laughs> they go into an office building. They put on a pantsuit or, you know, something that makes them look half man, half woman. They uh, find out who the people are to please. They walk and take breaks and pump in the, in the pumping room. And guess what? Instead of pleasing their husband, they please their boss. And because they're really good at pleasing a man, pretty soon they're the head of GM. <laughs> you know, is it any surprise that women do good in the workforce? <laughs> I mean, you all know Judy, right? You think Judy would do well in the, biz- in the corporate world? Uh, yes. And so what we do is God says that the woman is the life giver, but Satan says that to give life is to kill yourself and to be in bondage. And so we put off, especially if we've been to a Christian college, A, 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 Megan, we put off having children as long as we possibly can while we do good for the world, which means solving AIDS in Africa. And then, all of a sudden, guess what? We realize we've been sold a bill of goods. What we really want is to be a wife and a mother. And it's like, ding dong. I remember writing, this is a long time ago, an article because I watched this woman who had been trained as an attorney and was working as an attorney, and all she wanted was to have a child and care for her child. And she couldn't. And I remember writing this article about motherhood, and in the article I said, shocking thing happens, which is that men and women fall in love and get married and have babies. And I remember writing, it's a very shocking thing. But of course, I was, I, was making, I, was, I was making fun of it. How can we be so intentionally stupid that we will not look at the things that we desire, the things that God has put in our heart to desire, but we're sold a bill of goods of what true freedom is. We pursue that freedom, and to pursue the freedom, we have to fornicate with our boyfriends instead of marrying them. We have to kill our unborn child. And we Christians think we are free. We! And this is evil because you have been given by God a book. And in this book is propositional truth. And you are to be conformed as a stamp on an image to this truth because if you're not, you will never be free. Okay? You will either be a slave of Satan or you will be a slave of God for righteousness. That's your choice and there's no third option. You know, I'm going to tell you something 
A couple days ago, somebody on the internet said that he had listened to a couple of Tim Bailey's sermons, and he's always talking about sex. Well, listen, honestly, put yourself in my shoes. This morning, you become obedient from the heart to that system of doctrine. Look at you all and think, would I bring up motherhood? I would have to be an idiot not to preach about motherhood this morning if I'm going to talk about false freedom and true freedom. How could I not preach about that? That's where all of you are being weighed in the balances. Do you realize this? Every mother here of young children feels she's throwing her life away. She feels that she's in bondage and everybody's condescending to her because of her wasted life. And she thinks to herself, I could have done better than them in the corporate world. And I love those women, and I want to inoculate them against this lie that tries to bring them under bondage in the name of freedom. And women here who have suffered under bad husbands, and they're thinking, I threw my life away by becoming a wife and a mother. And I want to inoculate her against this. She has been free. Because she has lived in obedience and faith to God. Don't you ever patronize wives and mothers. It is despicable. And the most despicable aspect of it is that it's done best by pastors of the ministry and the way they preach. And if you are able to preach perfectly the Bible in such a way as to inoculate women against being wives and mothers, you're a paragon of virtue and you will go far, young man. I hate that. I hate it. And the reason I hate it is my mother-in-law was Margaret Taylor. And don't you ever patronize Margaret Taylor. So if you have another way of preaching true freedom to this congregation, knock your socks off. But I will speak about sexuality because many of you have to be reminded that you are a mother because you are free. You are free. And you know, sometimes your leaders have to make themselves to give you a space where you can live in freedom. Does that make sense to you? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassing. But I hope it gives you a place to live that you don't have to listen to the world. I don't mind being a fool if, if you're safe. Do you understand that? Well, <laughs> that's you. You're a man. <laughs> you know, I didn't see Lizzie thanking me. I saw her complaining about me this week. Yeah, I never got lunch. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. <laughs> when I take my kids on vacation or something, I never would ever buy them lunch. Because I don't eat lunch, they don't eat lunch, you know. And my poor sons are so skinny that by the time I gave them food at dinner, literally they would throw up and have a headache. That's how bad a dad I am. Sorry. (laughs) Now, I have one other thing to do, and I'll be done. If the Bible says that God transfers us, he's he's the active agent. He is... He is the one that does it. That God transfers us from slavery to Satan to slavery to righteousness and to God. Okay? And you see that in the text. It's clear, right? If, if the Bible tells us that the process of doing that involves us becoming obedient from the heart to a pattern, a system of doctrine, okay? If Jesus says, my words... He focuses on his words and his truths to say he'll give us freedom. So I'm assuming at this point that all of us are on board that truth really does matter. It's not just feelings that matter. Are you with me? Truth must matter. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Have you noticed in your life that hearing God's truth and acting upon it has made you obedient from the heart? And would you characterize yourself today as someone who, in the words of the text, okay, thanks be to God, you were a slave of sin, but you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Is this you? Okay? Is it you? In the first service, um, I, was, I was saying this, and I was thinking about what people in the congregation were thinking. And I thought, no, what they'll say to me is, no, that's not me. And I thought, well, why will they say that to me? And I thought, well, they're going to say that to me because they just see bondage to sin in their life, <laughs> you know? What they, what they don't see is that they become obedient from the heart. It's like you're... It's like you're outside looking in. You probably hear it and you think, yes, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. But you have a feeling of being an outsider looking in at this truth and wishing that you could partake in it. Okay? And so, is it true that this text does not describe you? And the answer is no, it's not true. You are lying to yourself. This text is you. And you say, (laughs) you know, one of the first signs of a false shepherd is he flatters his flock. And Tim's just flattering me, right? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, you're ugly. Okay, you're all ugly. Okay, now I'm not flattering you, right? Okay, will you you grant me? I'm not flattering you. Okay, now, this text is true of you. You're ugly. But this text is true of you. Okay, now that's a joke but you could change it slightly, it would be true. You are sinful. I know your sins. I'm intimate with your sins. Many of you, if I asked you to raise your hand, you'd say, yeah, he's intimate with my sins. You're intimate with mine. I know you. And this text is you. The Apostle Paul knew the people he wrote to. And this text is true. Now, how can that be? Well, Satan is the accuser of the brothers. And his principal accusation is always that we are hopeless. And so do not put your faith in God because you're hopeless. Don't even hope in God because you're hopeless. And so many of us think that the way for us to live the Christian life is to always adopt the worst possible explanation and description of ourselves in such a way that we don't become proud, that we don't become presumptuous. And so we're, we're like, I'm bad, right? Well, you are bad, but the truth is, if you turn to your husband or your wife, if you turn to your mother and father, or mother, mothers and fathers, if you turn to your children, and you ask them, have you seen that I have be, been becoming, present participle, past participle. Have you seen change in me? Have you seen change in me? And the answer will be, and I know because I know you as a congregation, Joe, okay? The answer is yes. We have seen your change. And that change is coming about because God, thanks be to God, is making you obedient from the heart through the pattern of sound doctrine.
that it's of God. It's not of you. It's not of me. Okay? And so not flaky, not superficial, but rejoice. Rejoice. Give thanks to God. Because if what he wanted was a puppet, you know how, you, you know how we always sort of find ourselves wishing we were a marionette in the hand of God? You know, so that everything that happened to us, he did, you know? But if you were a puppet, it would not be true of you what Edward said in the title of his sermon. You remember? Any of you? He says in this title, God glorified in what? Any of you know? Man's dependence. <laughs> God is glorified by us being dependent on him. That's the nature of sanctification. Sanctification is not a release from dependence on God, but it's a growing dependence on God, a growing realization how dependent we are on God, a growing thanksgiving for our dependence on God, an intellectual, doctrinal, propositional truth that he is glorified by our dependence. You know? And that's something to be happy about. How many people do you know that are glorified by your dependence on them? want you to be dependent on them. <laughs> hey, Linda? <laughs> I mean, we feel so embarrassed about our dependence, you know? God wants us to glorify him by de- being dependent on him. And so don't lie. You actually are obeying from your heart, and you are submitting to the teaching of the pattern of sound doctrine. That's why you're in a church and you won't be released from that school until you die. And if you ever release yourself, things are going to go badly for you. And soon I'll be gone. And another man will give you the pattern of sound doctrine. And this has been going on, some people tell me, for a long time. And it doesn't really matter who the man is. But you must feed on propositional truth. You must feed on it. Let's come to the Lord's table.